You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So there are just a couple things that I wanted to kind of go through, just random thoughts that I had on things. Um, But before we get there, there's something that's been kind of hiding in my drafts for a while that I figure we should probably touch on before it gets to be a little bit too old news. I mean... This is one of those evergreen things that can come up at any time, but why not hit it now? So, as I'm sure you know and forgot about, The Athletic, Zach Rosenblatt, he's a Jets guy, and Diana Rossini, who I think is just a national guy, (laughs) posted an article on The Athletic, Aaron Rodgers, Robert Sala, and how the Jets season fell apart. Something has to change. You know, I, I can't help but feel... I don't know, a sense of smug arrogance. What do they call that in the office? Smudgeness? And it's not just the Rodgers thing, but it is partly the Rodgers thing, because again, that was a huge, heated, debated battle among Packer fans here, and all of this is just further vindication. But even more so, it became a thing with Jets fans who really thought that everything was going to be, the Packers are going to fall apart and the Jets are going to be so great. This horrible, evil franchise that doesn't know how to treat people is finally going to get a taste of what it deserves. And Rodgers is finally going to know what it's like to go to apparently some competent organization that really knows how to treat them right. They're going to actually listen to them over there. They're really going to listen. Finally, an owner that cares. Now we're really going to see what it's like. And so when you see the absolute, complete, utter just freaking chaos. I can't help but do anything other than smirk a little bit. Because number one, um, there's a question of, you know, is it really Rodgers or is it, you know, the team that forces Rodgers to do these things? You know, because they're so mean, he just has no choice but to do it. And if the team just wasn't so stupid and, and bad and evil and they were nicer to players, then we wouldn't have all this drama. But the team is forcing Rodgers to, to, you know, start all this drama. Well, the team's still here. As far as I can tell, there's really no bad blood here in Green Bay. There was a little thing with Jair, but we fired the defensive coordinator and the uh, athletics director. As far as I know, everything's fine. And uh, the Jets? No. No, I think the drama went up to 10. It was worse, actually, than it was here. It almost reminds me of, like, when Antonio Brown started going off the rails a little bit, and you're like, bro, what's going on with that guy? And then he leaves and you find out how crazy he really is. And you're like, dang, man, props to the Steelers. They did a heck of a job making it seem like he was a normal person for a really long time. Because regardless of your thought on the specific 
issues at hand when it comes to Rodgers and what and whoever, because it's pretty much everybody at this point, there's zero denying that the cause of the drama or the source of the drama in Green Bay when he was here was Rodgers. And there's zero denying that now that he's gone, the drama's gone. And there's zero denying that it has followed him over to New York. And the same thing but worse is happening over there. And, you know, I don't know how long we can just sit around and say, well, it's everybody else's fault before we just recognize, like, this is just what's going to happen. This is how it goes. But I'm so glad the genius Jets, who are such a well-run organization, who now are the, the, the organization across, what, NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB, across all four of those sports, they are the franchise that has had the longest playoff drought. You know why? Because they're stupid. And they were stupid about this too. They were stupid about bringing Rodgers in. They were stupid about listening to him about everything. And we'll get into it in a second. I just, I just want to put all my cards on the table right now about why we're even bothering to go through this. And as much as I look at it and go, well, maybe next year they'll come back and Rodgers will be healthy. And so the offense will be better and then they'll have a good defense. And then, you know, they, they might be dangerous because it's easy to go from point A to point B and see that. A to B to see that. <laughs> oh. On some level, you got to be, I guess, smart enough to recognize that teams don't just win because they have a good quarterback and a good defense. Like there, there is a top-down organizational structure that is in place in order for a team to win. And I think Rodgers gets that. And that's part of his frustration is, is that this is such a dysfunctional pile of crap organization. And now the head coach who was respected is now basically a laughingstock based on some of the comments that came out in this article. Everything makes this organization look like a joke. And all these supermen that came in, you got the GM, you got the head coach. I mean, nobody, I, I don't think, seriously took the offense coordinator seriously, but all these, these supermen, who has faith in them now? Do their own players even have faith in them? Do the fans? I doubt it. Plopping Aaron Rodgers in, the mile of, in, a, in a pile of crap is not going to fix anything. But let's get into the article, shall we? So the whole thing starts off the way that I absolutely hate that articles always start off. This is a very long article to begin with. It's, it's pages upon pages upon pages. And of course, we got to spend about 19 paragraphs talking about, it was a warm summer evening. Like, bro, just freaking bullet point me, will you? But it finally starts several paragraphs down and it says, The Athletic spoke to 30 sources in and around the organization who were granted anonymity to speak freely on the inner workings of the team without reprisal. Those sources described a team riddled with excuse-making, a paranoid head coach, an ill-equipped offensive coordinator, <laughs> and an organizational uh, tunnel vision on the quarterback that rubbed some teammates wrong. And then it says the Jets and Rodgers declined to comment, which kind of makes sense, but at the same time, like you don't want to comment on a hit piece, right? I mean, you don't want your name to show up in your own hit piece, I suppose, but you still, I guess, would want to, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how you handle these things. I guess you go on Pat McAfee and say they're liars. But right out of the gate, it, it starts off with a couple little bangers here. Not, not necessarily surprising, but just good to knows. Number one, the defense got real sick of the offense. Like, we're doing a lot of work here. We're doing a pretty good job, and you freaking suck. What is the point anymore? And apparently the offensive players, and this is how it's phrased, the offensive players felt like Rodgers' hand-picked offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett failed to adjust after losing his quarterback and didn't put them in positions to succeed. So, and this, this isn't surprising. <sighs> Look, the, the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett because they wanted to use that as a tool to get Rodgers over there, and it didn't work. And he was bad. 
The Jets did the exact same thing. They hired him just to get Rodgers. And then once they had Rodgers, the entire plan was do exactly what you did in Green Bay to make Rodgers look good. And so that's what they did. And then Rodgers goes down and a new quarterback with a completely different set of skills, different set of uh, strengths and weaknesses is at the helm. And now you as the offensive coordinator have to retool the entire offense. You have to change everything from the ground up. Your play calling has to change. Things you emphasize and de-emphasize have to change. Did he do that? No, because he doesn't know how. He didn't, it says he failed to adjust and did not put anybody in a position to succeed. And listen, I, I... this, this all goes without even addressing the point that even if we wanted to highlight Rodgers' strengths, I don't think Hackett's still the best guy for that. Hackett is there to recruit Rodgers because Rodgers and Hackett are very, very close friends. This is not even about he's, he's a brilliant play caller in what I do. No, he, he did what Matt LaFleur did, and Rodgers hated that. So Rodgers would like it because basically Hackett is not going to have a job. Roger's going to show up and he's going to decide what happens and he's going to call his own plays and he's going to do whatever he wants. So Hackett is just going to be like an assistant to Aaron Rodgers. He's not even, he's barely a freaking offensive coordinator outside of just building around and making sure everybody understands what Rodgers wants. But that's all this has ever been about. They're very, very close friends. Very next sentence, quote, it's just such an effing mess, one Jets coach said. Something has to change. So what's hilarious about that, 30 people talked, right? And, and keep in mind, this came out after the whole, you know, leaks uh, came out before and then Rodgers came out and they're like, there, there's a leaker and we'll get into that. But just, just think like all this stuff about there being a very serious issue with a leak just got a lot worse because now there's 30 leakers or at least 30 sources. And we know one of them is a Jets coach. Talks a little bit about the, uh, the background and the parallels with Favre, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, to woo the four-time All-Pro, the owner approved the hiring of Hackett on January 26th. So any idea that, oh, that's not why they did it, bull crap. First of all, please, please. Let me just finish this and, and see what makes more sense. This paragraph I'm about to read to you or some fan fiction where the Jets, who just so happen to have a lot of interest in Rodgers, also just so happen to be super interested in Nathaniel Hackett. So after that sentence, it says Rodgers won MVP awards in 2020 and 2021 after Hackett was hired as the Packers coordinator in 2019, and the quarterback developed a close relationship with the coach. The uh, But Hackett was also coming to New York, fresh off a disastrous 15-game run as head coach of the Denver Broncos, a performance his replacement, Sean Payton, called one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. And I don't think he was necessarily wrong. But it continues. The Jets made Rodgers comfortable in other ways, pursuing some of his former Green Bay teammates and other friends in free agency before he officially joined the team in April. They signed wide receiver Alan Lazard to a $44 million deal on March 14th, the first day of free agency, courted Odell Beckham Jr. before he signed with the Ravens, and then added receiver Randall Cobb, tackle Billy Turner, and quarterback Tim Boyle after Rodgers signed with the New- after New York. Uh, Rodgers also had offensive lineman David Bakhtiari and tight end Mercedes Lewis on his wish list. Now, this has come up before where the term wish list was used and Rodgers was furious and he just outright denied it. But again, semantics aside, whether there's a physical list or anything like that, am I seriously to believe that the Jets would have done this if not for Aaron Rodgers? That they would have just coincidentally signed Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Billy Turner? Billy Turner is one of another one of his really close friends. Randall Cobb is one of his very best friends, and he's also very close with Alan Lazard. Plus, we know that he likes having 
comfortable and familiar type wide receiver. So that, that was just a coincidence. That or they just decided to hire a bunch of people randomly without talking to Rodgers in hopes that it would just help push him over the edge. Maybe Rodgers doesn't even want it, but we're not going to talk to him about that. We'll just do it without talking to him and then hope that that helps. Does that does any of that make sense or can we just admit that Rodgers requested it and his request was accepted? Next part I love too because it just really goes into the heartbreaking tale of his time in Green Bay and, and how much better it's going to be with the Jets. The quarterback stuck around for offseason workouts, a rarity when he was with the Packers. On the field and in the meetings, he put everything he had into changing the culture of the organization. He had felt shut out in Green Bay. GM Brian Gutekunst had betrayed, or he, he felt shut out by Gutekunst and betrayed when Gutekunst drafted heir apparent Jordan Love in 2020. In New York, Rodgers was afforded a direct line of communication to general manager Joe Douglas. So the way the Packers did it was bad, and what the Jets are doing is good. Let's continue. It's not uncommon for team decision makers to consult star quarterbacks on potential roster additions, which, by the way, the Packers also did, even before their meeting and all that kind of stuff, and they always talk to guys. But the perception around the league is that the Jets went beyond the norm. Rodgers isn't the assistant GM, one AFC general manager said. Joe Douglas is the assistant GM. It's funny how specific that is to AFC general manager. I mean, there's not that many left. I, I would even go so far as to say it's probably AFC East. <laughs> Just talking trash. I'm just going to say Bill's GM. I bet that was Bill's GM. But I just, just just real quick, so I'm clear. Is this how Green Bay should have run things? Because again, they, they, they dipped the toe in the water. That's how we got Randall Cobb and whatnot. And probably part of the reason why Billy Turner even stuck around as long as he did. And heck, for all we know, is a big part of the reason we didn't invest as heavily in wide receiver. Because what's the freaking point when he insists on having guys like Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard? I don't know. But Rodgers left and we loaded up. But I mean, it, it, so, so are the Jets still doing a good thing here where they let Rodgers essentially run the team? Just wondering. Anyways, from there, it talks about the close relationship that Rodgers built with Zach Wilson. It says Rodgers made an effort to get to know his teammates and build friendships over lunch and team cafeteria on trips to New York City. He pulled teammates aside during practice to offer pointers, coaches too, and took former starter Zach Wilson under his wing. This was supposed to be Wilson's redshirt year when the 24-year-old could sit back, watch, and learn from his idol, then potentially salvage his career. In the offseason, Wilson called Rodgers the big brother I never had. Rodgers helped Wilson regain his confidence, and Wilson was willing to sit and watch, but the dynamics between the two players changed after Rodgers' injury. Over the summer, Rodgers collaborated with Hackett to construct the offense. As I said, this is Rodgers' offense from the start collaborate. Okay. Sala, as usual, was hands-off on that side of the ball. Rodgers and Hackett's relationship dynamic is more frat brothers than player coach. Sounds like a great, real good team-winning dynamic. It's a bunch of bros hanging out with Rodgers designing an offense, with Hackett hanging out collecting a paycheck being a bro. And Rodgers appreciates having the free will to operate the system as he sees fit. Both Rodgers and Hackett call the offense quarterback-friendly, but as the Jets learned in 2023, that might only apply to one quarterback. That's exactly right. Listen, <laughs> the, the quote-unquote system is some weird Frankenstein bullcrap that is a Matt LaFleur offense with Aaron Rodgers' intricacies. So the only thing quarterback-friendly about it is that it's a Matt LaFleur offense. That's the quarterback-friendly part. But when you add in all the other stuff, yeah, there's, there's one guy in the world that can run that, and it's Rodgers. Quote, that's what Aaron wants, was a common refrain from Hackett as he told coaches what plays he wanted to run during camp. I mean, how freaking ridiculous is this? Where is your backbone? Where is your freaking spine? This is also why I don't understand why it's like Roger should run everything. This is like having your kid just tell you what to do as a parent. Well, you don't want your kids to resent you. 
You resent me all you want. Do the frickin' dishes before I smack you. How about that? Oh no, you gotta go. You're te- I, I have to turn over my job to you because you might get mad at me. This is, this is insane. And, and for the offensive coordinator to just be so blatant about it. I mean, at least pretend you're the offensive coordinator. Sitting there going through the plays and just be like, I don't know, that's what Aaron wants to do, so that's what we're going to do. I just do whatever Aaron tells me to do, guys. Just shut up and do what you're told. Often, Rodgers would hear Hackett play call and want something else, so the entire offense would reset. So Hackett's out there calling plays, and Rodgers like, no, 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 call this. And then they'd stop everything and redo it, because Rodgers was also apparently the play caller from the sideline. He wanted to make sure that the play caller was calling the right play. So Rodgers is like the coach's coach. He's coaching Hackett how to call the plays the way Rodgers wants him to call the plays. So Rodgers wants to be the play caller and the play runner, and if the guy had some legs, I'm guessing he'd want to be the receiver to catch the touchdown passes too. I... He's <laughs> a great, a great, I love this so much. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I even made the comments, I was the only person as far as I know that had no problems with the comments that uh, Sean Payton made about Hackett. Because the guy's not good at his job, and he got called out for doing an unbelievably terrible job, and everybody clapped back at Sean Payton. Sean Payton's just an old school guy, he's just going to say whatever he says. And I appreciate that. Say what's real. Tell me the frickin' truth. Talk to me like a grown frickin' man, and tell me what the heck is going on. We gotta put everything through these frickin' filters all the time. Oh, I think they did a great job with the best they could do, and, you know, wish them the best of luck. Why talk? What's, why do we even bother talking? If not, nobody's going to say anything, we're saying anything. Anyways, Sean Payton was right. Continuing. Talks a little bit about how the defensive line destroyed the offensive line, and it says growing pains were expected in a new offense full of new personnel, but one coach said it was concerning how little urgency Hackett and his staff showed in trying to fix it saying he's never seen a team watch less practice tape in training camp than the Jets did with Hackett. Why did he get the job again? Oh yeah, for Rodgers. This is a disaster. And you know what? There there were all kinds of reports about wanting to replace the offensive staff, but not Hackett. Salah knows that that, that Hackett is not hacking it. He's not good enough. So he's got to put on a show of force and start firing everybody under Hackett and finding new people. But he can't touch Hackett because Rodgers wants him. Hackett has to go. He's not good enough. They're not going to fire him. (laughs) Next paragraph. I don't want to read the whole thing, but there's just every paragraph is like, you guys are idiots. I'm not even going to read it. So the bottom line is they talked about bringing in guys like Chad Henney, Carson Wentz, Colt McCoy, or Joe Flacco. Key decision makers in the building didn't think Flacco would be an upgrade after Rodgers got hurt. So they rolled with Wilson and Flacco is finalist for Comeback Player of the Year after leaving, leading Cleveland to the playoffs. Man, they are a brilliant franchise, aren't they? They're just, they got some real good decision makers over there. Hackett struggled to adjust the offense to the team's new reality. Multiple coaches and players, so of the 30, there's more than one coach, probably more than two, and probably more than two players saying the same thing. And what is that thing? Multiple coaches and players described Hackett as lacking in attention to detail. For most of the season, Hackett would meet with the offensive line coach, run game coordinator Keith Carter, and passing game coordinator Todd Downing during the week, but wouldn't get together with the rest of the offensive staff until last minute of game prep. You know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like a guy who knows that he got a job and is not really the offensive coordinator and doesn't give a crap. He knows he can't be touched. He knows he can't be fired and is just doing the bare minimum to get by and nobody's going to touch him. But you know what? That locker room is going to start resenting the hell out of this entire coaching staff. 
and they're going to start resenting Rodgers, and they're going to start resenting the head coach, and they're going to start resenting the owners and the GM and everybody else that put them in this situation. During games, Hackett struggled to make adjustments. Against the Dallas Cowboys in Week 2, Carter asked Hackett to give left tackle Dwayne Brown more help blocking Cowboy star rusher Micah Parsons, according to multiple team sources. But Hackett never adjusted, and Parsons dominated two sacks, four quarterback hits in a 30-10 loss. He just didn't do anything about it. In Week 6, Rodgers started flying in from California for games and was an active voice on the sideline headsets, offering opinions and ideas along with Hackett and the other offensive coaches before flying back to California the next day. So he would fly in, be a coach for the day, and then fly back home. Didn't fix anything. Offense still sucked. Says week 11, they decided to get rid of all the old guys like uh, Lazard and whatnot, bringing the you guys, the, the young guys, and it got even worse. It was sloppier. The Jets led the league in pre-snap penalties and total penalties, it says. Week 15, 30 to nothing loss. Lazard publicly said that New York was out-efforted and out-schemed. Those comments angered some of the team's defensive leaders, team sources said, especially because they came from the floundering Lazard. Some stats about Lazard. It says this came in a season in which he uh, would register the fewest receiving yards among 59 wide receivers to run at least 400 routes and the second worst drop rate among wideouts with at least 30 targets. So this guy's a freaking bum. He's only here because of Rodgers. He would never have this job otherwise. He comes in, he plays like crap, probably putting in very little effort. He never had that bad of a drop rate here. Lowest yards per route run of any wide receiver with 400 routes. And he's going to pop off about out-schemed and all this kind of stuff. So now, what's happening? Now people are pissed at Lazard, who's another Rodgers guy. They're pissed at Hackett. They're not happy about this situation that they're in. Here's the paragraph I was talking about before. Hackett will return as the offensive coordinator in 2024, though team and league sources say Salah is exploring adding to the offensive staff and creating a more collaborative play-calling process that would reduce Hackett's role. So they're not going to fire him because they can't. They're just going to bring in like a co-offensive coordinator that can actually do the freaking job so Hackett can get paid to do even less. It says, a clear indication the team has lost confidence in the ability to run the offense on his own, Hackett. Rodgers has been involved in those discussions. Of course he has. He has to sign off on it. You know, I, I, I just, and this is what I was, I've talk, talked about this before with Rodgers too. Don't effing talk to me about you want to win. You want to win, but you won't come in for practice. You won't communicate with your guys. You won't do any of these things. It's even worse over there. You got a guy that's an offensive co- coordinator that's there because he's your buddy. He's the problem and he needs to go. Are you going to make that call? Because if you give the word that it's okay to let him go, he's gone. And he should be. You're not going to do it. Because you care more about your buddies. You care more about how people are treated than actually winning. Fine, that makes you a great person. So you can go be a great person. You can steal money from the Jets and from the Jets fans and use it to pay all your buddies because you think that makes you a good person, even though that is wildly immoral. Go ahead and do that. And you can get Lazard paid and Randall Cobb paid and the team can just suck. You can just be terrible. At least, at least you're a nice guy in, in you know, some kind of a weird, twisted way. But it's not about winning. And don't say it's about winning. Because winning is secondary. Because when the rubber meets the road, you don't care about winning. It's not your top priority. If it was hack, it would be gone, period. Is, are you going to let him go or not? No? Then shut your mouth about winning. The team is going to suck. And it's unbelievable because it's his own doing. It could be a great situation. He's still a talented quarterback, but let the team build it right. If you want to be involved, fine. Be involved in actually getting good players. Bro, Dalvin Cook, are you stupid? You think Dalvin Cook's still good? How freaking warped are you? The guy doesn't even watch football, I don't think. He doesn't know what's going on. Dalvin Cook. Why are you trying to recruit Dalvin? And you did. And he's like, I'm out of here. This place sucks. I was promised a Super Bowl with Rodgers and this elite defense, and I get this crap? 
He just told the coaching staff, like, bro, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. This is, this is dumb. And they're like, all right, cool. That's fine. We didn't really watch you anyways. I just, I'm just, I'm, it's staggering. Again, I, you know, I've talked about like last night about how pathetic it is to, uh, you know, the, the media and whatnot grovel over the chiefs and over Swift. And it's just this like glamour boy and, and princess thing. And it's just, oh, the, the, they are NFL royalty and we grovel and it just feels pathetic. That pales in comparison to watching this Jets franchise. And I understand that they're not the most storied or prized franchise in the world. But have a little freaking pride. Have just a shred of decency for crying out loud. This is embarrassing. Continuing, what happened this season can't happen again, said Garrett Wilson. We've got to make adjustments in the game. We've got to do things to counter what we're getting and be able to put points on the board because two years I've been here, it's been tough. Yeah, make basic adjustments, dude. It's too easy to scheme against you. He says, football hasn't been this hard. When I watch it on the sideline, it don't... uh, it don't look like that hard for them, the other team. So we got to figure out something to get rolling, no matter who is slinging it. And that's that's true. That's the difference. That's why you know I love watching Matt Lafleur's offense flourish this past year because you just expect hard, and then oh look, there's somebody open on third and seven, and he throws it and he catches it, and it's like well that felt easy. You know I'm I'm so used to like Rodgers having to do miraculous tight window. All this is like oh man, third and like we're not going to get this unless something crazy happens. And it's like, oh, that guy's just wide open. How did he get wide open? I don't know. How did you do that? Like, well, it's just kind of timing, you know, just quick out route. They gave us some cushion, threw it on time, accurate. No big deal. Like, okay, all right. Yeah, I guess. It's just calling the right plays at the right time can make it look easy. And if you constantly call the wrong plays at the wrong time, yeah, everything looks unbelievably hard. And we've seen that too, where it's like, dude, we can't do anything. (laughs) Salah has the mantra, positive vibes only. That's why your team sucks. Printed on t-shirts, that coaches and other staffers often wear around the team facility. The Jets head coach tries to stay optimistic around players and in front of the media and has garnered respect from many in the locker room for cultivating an environment that always allows players to be themselves. Positive vibes only. What are you, 17 years old? Dork. But behind closed doors, the vibes weren't always positive, especially when Salah saw negative reports. He would, also, he would often bring up how, in his mind, the Giants don't get as much negative coverage as the Jets, calling it unfair. Maybe he is 17. That's not fair. It says, as the Jets lost game and struggles to score points, security seemed to be Salah's primary primary concern, and he wished that Johnson or Rodgers would publicly endorse him for 2024. (laughs) It's just straight politicking at this point. And I guess the owner likes to go on Twitter and read a bunch of Twitter stuff and then go talk to the coach about it. Like, hey, guess what this guy said? He said, you suck. What do you think about that? (laughs) It says, in the days after an embittered Salah, so this is after they dropped a 4-7, and He did research. He wanted to see how teams led by the NFL's best coaches perform when playing without their star quarterback. He found that Bill Belichick, Mike McCarthy, John Harbaugh, Zach Taylor, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay all had losing records in those situations, um, and Mike Tomlin was the lone exception. That became Salah's battle cry as the Jets' losses piled up and criticisms mounted. What do you expect? We lost Aaron Rodgers. And to be honest, that's fair, but it's just funny that rather than focusing on doing his job, He's like doing a bunch of in-depth research so that he can make excuses so that he can keep his job in the future. So then they put in Boyle in week 12 and they told Wilson he was done for the rest of the year and they were going to try to trade him in the offseason. Why they told him all that, I don't know. But they go to Wilson and they're like, look, you're done and uh, we're going to try to get you out of here, see if we can get you in a better spot or something. Okay, but sound good? Okay, sit down, shut up. But in the days before the Falcons game, Salah reversed course and told Wilson to start practicing as if he might play again. Wilson 
expressed reluctance about returning to play and said he would politely decline if asked. Based on his previous conversations with Salah and fearing getting injured behind the Jets' makeshift offensive line, which makes sense. You just told me you don't want me and you're going to trade me. Okay, so then I don't want to play and get injured and not have a team that wants to pick me up. So I'm just going to say no. So then Salah goes to Rodgers and says, can you talk to Wilson? So Rodgers talked to him and Wilson just basically said F you. It says Wilson's feeling, feelings about his idol soured over the season. As Rodgers was pushing the limits of a torn Achilles rehab, determined to return in as little as three months, an unprecedented recovery, Wilson, along with some Jets teammates and coaches, grew tired of the way that Sala fawned over Rodgers, according to team sources. So again, that's what I'm talking about. Like this gushing, this sort of, oh, they're so wonderful and everything you do is right. It's like, dude, grown men look at that and say, shut up. I don't want to hear about freaking Rodgers and how much you love Rodgers all the time. Talk to grown men about being grown men. Not like, oh, we all need to bow down to Rodgers, everyone. Shut up, dude. Gives a little quote about how he talks about Rodgers and how much he's sacrificed for the organization and given himself and his teammates. And I think it's a testament to who he is. I mean, this is a guy who played two snaps a long time ago and has been in California the whole time. And Salah's over there gushing about Rodgers and all that he's done for the organization. Like, bro, this team sucks and I'm trying to win. Okay, can we talk about that? Wilson told coaches and teammates he was under the impression he'd have a direct line to Rodgers even after Rodgers tore his Achilles and flew home to California for surgery in the earlier stages of his rehab. Instead, Wilson barely heard from him. Yeah, I mean, it, this, this is amazing that there's still more. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back and finish this. Because like I said, this is, let's just, let's do this. Let's do it right and then we'll move on. But this is insane. And this is why culture is important, right? I always brush it off like, whatever, just get some big, strong, grown men in here that run fast and just smash into people and it'll be fine. It's unbelievable how much things can spiral out of control. And, and these, these are not winning environments. I don't care how talented your defense is. I don't care how good Sauce is and Garrett Wilson is and all that stuff. This, this culture, this team, this team's not winning. They're not. Something's got to change drastically. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so then there was the whole thing where the rumors kind of came out, right? The Athletic reported that Wilson was hesitant, right? The whole story that we just talked about, he didn't want to play. So as soon as that happened, Wilson goes to Salah and he's like, look, look, I'll play, okay? He doesn't want people to know that he said he wasn't going to do it. So he went, I was like, just, just put me in, coach, I'll play. And we could just tell everybody they're liars and I totally will play. So he goes out and he has a great game and he outbattles CJ Stroud. They win 30 to 6. The next week he gets a concussion, ends his season. So exactly why he didn't want to play is what happened. He ends up getting a concussion because of his crap offensive line, probably, I don't know. And he's down. But there's still that lingering report that's sitting out there. Quote from Rogers on the Pat McAfee show. He said, that's 
a problem with the organization. Uh, we need to get to the bottom of whatever, wherever this is coming from, put a stop to it privately because there's no place in a winning culture. And this isn't the only time there's been a bunch of other leaks. Bro, 30 sources. <laughs> this is like the leakiest team of all time. But, he, but here's the problem. The problem isn't the leaks. The problem is the flood. The problem is the problem. Not that some of the information about the problem is leaking out. If the leaks stop, what does that fix? Nothing. It fixes not one thing. It says, after Rodgers made his comments, Sala went into a tailspin. So he started to fall apart. He's already fallen apart, obviously. Like he's, he, the, the team is losing. There was, there was references earlier about how you know he felt like Fangio was fired, even though he built a great defense, but the offense sucked and they weren't winning. And so he started freaking out and he's doing research so he can build a case for himself. Says it became his battle cry. So he's obviously going around talking to everybody about what do you expect? Rodgers gone. What do you expect? What do you expect? And then Rodgers goes publicly and talks about this. And not only is it a problem because there's leaks, but now Rodgers is publicly talking and Rodgers is upset. So he's really freaked out that Rodgers is upset. Says the coach held a meeting with his staff two days later where he asked the leaker to reveal himself, according to multiple people in attendance. You know what this is? I can't believe nobody's done this yet. I will be doing this today. This is literally an office episode. They're trying to find the leaker. And it turns out it was like the entire offense. (laughs) He says, if you come forward now, you won't get in trouble. (laughs) Okay. He told them while threatening to take their cell phones, staffers were bemused by Salah's obsession with the Wilson story and his uh, reaction to it. For those that don't know, I mean, I totally do, but bemused means puzzled, confused, or bewildered. In other words, like, what the, f- what the heck is your problem, dude? And it says, the uncertainty around 2024 season lingered until Rodgers publicly endorsed Salah and Douglas a few days before week 16. Before the game, Johnson told the New York Post that Salah and Douglas would be returning. Are you serious? So these guys are really scared they're about to lose their jobs. Rodgers publicly endorses them, and then that week... The owner comes out and says that Salah and Douglas will be returning, which apparently is news to them because Salah has been paranoid about losing his job. A few weeks later, Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, and Mike Vrabel became available, but the Jets weren't interested. Then you got Rodgers causing a massive firestorm with the Jimmy Kimmel thing. Later it says, some of the stuff in the offseason with Aaron with hard knocks, I feel like we lost track of some things, star cornerback Sauce Gardner said, adding that, when there's a lot of cameras and a lot of stuff going on, you can lose track of the main thing. At the end of the day, we still got to win. goes on to say that Rodgers and Sala really thought that he was going to be able to play, but they needed to be in playoff contention, and then they got eliminated, so that was done. It says morale improved once Rodgers returned to the team full-time in the start of the window, especially when he started practicing. He spent more time around the facility, and his work on the scout team served as a window into the life, um, what my life might have been like if he never gotten hurt, which in and of itself is, is troubling. And I feel like this was the same thing in Green Bay for a long time, where Rodgers is the entire power source. I've talked about it before. When, when Rodgers gets hurt, our defense falls apart. Our offense, like everything falls apart. Everything crumbles. He is such a massive entity that when he leaves, it's chaos. And, and nobody in that building has the capability of doing their job. They can't control the locker room. They can't control the coaches. They can't control the play callers. They can't do anything. And then it says Rodgers came back and morale improved. And everyone's like, okay, we can do this, guys. It's like he, he's like the sun that has returned after the darkness in Alaska. Right, Steve? So he comes in, he starts tearing up the defense. CJ Mosley's like, dang, it feels good to have a guy like that around here. They voted him the most inspirational player. Says the what if starts to hit you. So they start to believe like, okay, next year it's going to be better. Next year we'll have Rodgers and everything's going to be better. 
Final paragraph says, Aaron will be an offense in itself because that's what he brings to the table. He's special. I just pray that everyone in the world gets to see that next year, but what happens this year can't happen again. I mean, look, if they, if they win, it's going to be on the back of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if they if they win, if they get to the playoffs, if they win a Super Bowl, if they do whatever, it is all Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I, I said for Jordan Love, this team will go as far as Jordan Love will take him, and I think that's true for most teams. But you can see what happens when he leaves. It is beyond dysfunctional. And I think that's a credit to the Packers as well, because he was that power source here. Whether they liked it or not, that was the reality. Everything revolved around Aaron Rodgers. Everything was just in his orbit. And for the to have the ability to unplug that, and, and a credit to Jordan Love, too, to step into that, because there is a massive hole that was left by Aaron Rodgers. Love him or hate him, the, the guy was the entire franchise. And the Packers were able to just pick up and, and keep going. Matt LaFleur held the whole thing together, which Sala cannot do. All right, we got an offensive play caller that can call plays. We got a quarterback that could come in and fight through adversity and, and by, the, by midseason hit his stride. And him and the receivers and the tight ends are all just, just pulling it together. You know, I, it just, it, it really felt like it was scary because it's, it's like a heart transplant. You know, you got a defective heart and, and it needs to be replaced. It's like, but you can't pull my heart out of my chest, dude. I'm scared. And you give me this new young pig heart or something. Like, I, I just, you know, huh. but it was necessary because it was just defective and it's not working. And, and you know, I think Rogers just got too big and there was just, there was, there was no more room to grow. It was just becoming a problem. You know, again, we got Lazard and we got to bring in Cobb now. And then Rodgers is mad about the GM. And it's like, there's, there's all this stuff that's just like, ugh. It's not just football. And it's not just about a bunch of individual pieces coming together and doing a great job. It's not about, you know, the coach and his play calling and the defensive coordinator and the wide receivers and this and that. It's just Rodgers. It's just Rodgers. And the Jets are going through that right now. I mean, Rodgers is, is, I mean, Rodgers told the owner of the Jets what to do, and he did it. That's how massive of an entity he is. And I'm, I'm not even necessarily trying to say anything negative. I, I do think Rodgers needs to take some time to reflect on the fact that he can't do everything. Maybe he thinks he can, but he can't. There's a reason the team is comprised of a lot of different pieces. I mean, you can't be the head coach and the offensive play caller and the quarterback and the GM and the owner and, you know, like, team motivator and, and try to build an organization and build a structure and all that. Like it's, it's admirable, but you've got to turn some stuff over. And, and part of the problem is you can't turn it over to Hackett. Number one, because you've crippled him and you've neutered him. And you've said, you just shut your mouth and do what I'm told. But number two, he's not qualified. So you need a new offensive coordinator in there. You need a better offensive coordinator. Go get somebody out of Dallas or something that, that understands what Mike McCarthy used to do. Go run some of your old crap. You want to run things, fine, but find somebody that's actually going to help you do what you need to do. And I don't think Hackett's that guy. I know he's your buddy, but whatever. We don't have to deal with it anymore. And it just it just feels good from our perspective. And, and you know what? Best of luck to him next year. I was rooting against him this year because of the pick and all that, uh, hoping we could potentially get like a high pick if he played a bunch and that whatever. You know what? Next year, go do it. Best of luck to you. Just up, up until we see you in the Super Bowl, I just, you know... No ill will, but this is a disaster, and it was largely caused by Rodgers, and and some of it, it, it's it's just, it's just one of the negatives of a guy, and this has happened with other quarterbacks too, where it's just, you, you get too big, and it can't work, because you refuse to fit into a tiny little box, but as long as you're not in the box, it's going to be a problem, 
And maybe you're just not very good at it. I mean, Tom Brady did this stuff too, but Tom Brady couldn't give a crap about his friends. He wanted the best. He brought over Gronkowski. That's fine, but I don't think it's because they're best buddies. He went out and got guys that he said are, are, are going to just freaking dominate. He went out and just got players. And that team was just unstoppable. You brought in Lazard and Cobb and Billy Turner and Nathaniel Hackett and a washed up freaking running back from the Vikings. They're different people. Rodgers is concerned with relationships. Tom Brady was obsessed with success. Rodgers has relationships. Tom Brady has success. I wish them both the best, but I'm just happy we're in the spot we're in. I'm very happy. And again, it's a massive credit to the organization. We didn't see anything like this in Green Bay. Not to this extent. And the, the one big expose that came out was about stuff that happened kind of a long time ago. So as long as guys stay hungry, as long as they keep working, you know, we'll see. Hopefully we can kind of keep uh, Jordan a little level-headed. He's about to get a big contract here. Um, you know, I think Rodgers learned a lot of lessons from Favre, and that was a good thing. And I'm hoping Jordan can learn a lot of things from Rodgers as well and, and just kind of understand certain things and not get too big of a head. I mean, obviously we're talking way down the line. We're talking, we're assuming he continues to play at a really high level, which is not a guarantee. But, you know, success really just comes from building a great team. It's not about one guy who knows everything making all the decisions. That's not going to work. Anyways, let's take our final break. Come back. I got a couple extra thoughts for you. And we'll get out of here. Take a break. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Or hit me up on Venmo if you're interested. Pack on a podcast. We will take a break. We'll be right back. So the last thing, I guess, is just kind of random thoughts that I had kind of going through some stuff, uh, especially pertaining to the new defensive coordinator. Um, I know a lot of people are concerned about some of the failures, like with Boston College. Um, all, all I'm going to say is that doesn't necessarily concern me as much. Now, if you watch Boston College's defense, and I know there's debate about how much he actually was involved in that, and I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously, calling plays is a big part of it, too. but it, there's just there's so much that's removed for me, and, and it's the same with even Ohio State. Like that's why I, I I stopped caring about that debate a long time ago too, just because I, f- I feel like you know as a lot of people have pointed out, Ohio State was a long time ago, and things have probably changed. And then Boston College is you know not a super long time ago, and even that has probably evolved over time. But then you know you have to factor in Tem Lukabu was the uh, defensive coordinator; he was the play caller. So it's like, how much was the influence from the the top? Plus, he's going to change again when we get to the NFL. So, I mean, of course, it would be great if Boston College was just this dominant defense. And, you know, I heard, uh, you know, Dusty Evely was talking about looking at it and saying, um, you know, it looked like everybody was doing their job. They just weren't good enough. You know, everybody seemed sound. Everybody understood the principle. But you got this linebacker that runs like he looks like he's running in sand and just can't keep up with anybody. So what are you supposed to do? And, And there is a talent pool problem there. You know, I, I don't fully understand. I'll probably start diving into it a little bit because it, it sounds like it's going to potentially cause some massive waves in college as well as in the NFL. And, and there's a lot of questions about what that looks like. But um, that's why you're starting to see guys get out, which, by the way, maybe we can just segue into the next point. I, I wonder if that's a massive positive. For example, I, I wonder if for, you know, if you think about it, if it wasn't for the way that college football is changing, you wouldn't see a guy with his qualifications come to the NFL to be a defensive coordinator. He's kind of bigger than that. So you're seeing guys that are kind of at the top of the hill in college saying, I don't want to do this anymore. 
And so they're not quite good enough to be NFL head coaches, right? I mean, it's just, it's probably not going to be a thing. I mean, it could be, it happens occasionally, but you've got guys that are apparently so miserable, they're willing to even take a step down and, and pay is probably comparable. I think he was making 3 million as a Boston college head coach, something like that, three, 4 million. I don't know what they're paying him in Green Bay, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a couple million for sure. So it's, you know, not a massive pay cut, but you also have a, a lot less responsibility and you're, you're doing football stuff again. You know, that was the other thing is, you know, you got this guy that, that is a, you know, he's the head coach and he's a defensive guy, but it's like, you know, he never gets a second off because his whole time he spends is not doing football stuff. It's recruiting and fundraising. We're trying to get money into our program. We're trying to get players into our program. And, you know, you're struggling to do that because the money is other places and people don't want to come there. And you got a bad team, and it's just, it's a lot of politics and everything else that, that he's trying to manage. So, I, I mean, look, if it bothers you, that's fine. It, that, that for me doesn't bother me because there's just so many steps removed between like, what is this guy going to do with an NFL roster, coaching completely different principles with complete control of the defense, closer to what he had at Ohio State? Like, what is that going to look like? I don't know. But the overall quality of the team, which is largely based on the overall quality of the players at Boston College, is just kind of, I, I don't care. But again, it, it could be potentially exciting that maybe we're, we're getting something like a, 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 a gem here that is a nearly impossible unicorn where an overqualified guy comes in just because college is, is so massively awful. <laughs> so that's, that's another possible exciting way to look at it, I guess. Another thing I was thinking about, and this is kind of my complication when it comes to like finding people in the draft, because it's like, okay, so we 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 most of us have all watched that press man thing, that little clinic that that was uh, on YouTube and whatnot. So you look at that and say, okay, so that's what he wants to do. So let's just start with the draft. But part of my issue is you look at it and go, okay, find a guy that does that really well. But that's not really what you're looking for, because that's just finding somebody who is coached similarly. The idea of the coach though is that he's going to teach them the technique. They still need to be coached and refined. So you're really looking for the traits and whatnot. So then you got to build out, well, what are the traits that you need? And then kind of go from there. And anyways, that's sort of a separate issue. But I was thinking about it that even when, you know, people complain about, we don't have the guys that can do it. We don't have, you know, we got Jair and nobody. We don't know that though. We don't even know that we have Jair because I can even pull up PFF right now and be like, okay, we'll find out what their man coverage grades are because we're going to be playing more man. And no, it's not going to be like all the time. As uh, Clayton was talking about in his podcast, it's unlikely to even be 50%. I think the highest that anybody ran man coverage is like 40%. So it's not going to be man coverage, press coverage, anything like that for even the majority of the time. But let's just let's just pretend that, you know, it's a, it's a really high number. Even if I went in there and it said Stokes sucks at man coverage or whatever, I'm not even going to look it up. I, I remember watching somebody posted a clip of Carrington Valentine. It was a Valentine highlight clip, and it was it was real solid. And one of the routes was really nice against Mike Evans, and it was it was press. Believe it or not, Joe Barry did have them in press man coverage once in a while. But if you just look at the technique, it was it was wrong, not necessarily just universally, but based on what Halfley would want him to do. It was very different because immediately he takes like a forty five degree step to his left. And then Mike Evans cuts back into the inside. It looks dead. It was a great play by Valentine to recover, kind of grab onto his body so that he can kind of slingshot himself back in and then around the corner and punch the ball out. It was a great play, but that's not what he's going to be doing. And he probably would have done an even better job had he, you know, stayed square like Halfley wants him to do, take his little uh, timing step, I think is how uh, uh, how it was on uh, Clayton's podcast. I forget the coach's name now, but I believe they called it a timing step. It's just, it's just a little six-inch step. 
but you keep your shoulders square and you let them declare and then you go with them. You take a big jump, that 45 degree thing, but you got to let them declare first. So the point is like, they're, they're going to learn his way of doing it. And then the question is, can these guys do it? And I'll be honest, man, the more I think about it, I like the guys that we have, like Stokes. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, I can't guarantee he's going to be real good at stuff. But you look at Stokes, and and and, and maybe this is entirely wrong, but I, I just because he's kind of tall, long, and fast, I think Kevin King. So what do we think? He's a straight line guy, big, physical, long arms, not the most agile in the world. I love that for this. And again, obviously, it's not man coverage all the time, but let's just stick with this. Does Stokes kind of fit that? I think he does. I think he's got the, the big, long arms which is going to be great for the kind of press thing, right? Aside from that, the reason that you do that is as soon as they declare, you cut the route tree down. You know, if he, if he breaks to the outside, you cut off about 70% of it. He's only running one of these three routes. And you hold on to his hip. You, you know, again, you should be staying square with him. And then as soon as you decide what route he's running, you should be able to, you know, if, he, if they do this, you do this. If he does this, you do So you're, you're really just waiting on one or two routes. And it's the same if he goes the other way. So you don't have to be so like reactive, like giving somebody the whole route tree, you kind of know intuitively what's coming. So you don't have to be as agile. You just got to be smart and you got to be like a robot. You got to just know what to do. But the other one thing is sometimes they're going to break and they're going to go. And sometimes what you got to do is you got to get on your horse and you got to run as fast as you possibly can. And then there's a whole thing about how you track the ball. And when when you turn your head, you keep your shoulders square and you don't slow down, you accelerate. So speed is going to be a thing too. So when they decide to go, you get that top end speed and you just book it. We got guys that can do that. Jair and Stokes are our speed guys. And so I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what we have in, in Stokes. I don't know what we have in Valentine. I don't know what we're going to have in Jair. But the, the, the thing is, and, and again, you can't even look at how good they are at man because we got to let him do his thing. We got to let him coach it. And he's, you know, he's adaptable. So he's even made the comment, something to the effect of, you know, we have a way of doing things here, but if they're better doing this, then I, I want to make them great at what they do. So we got to see how that all evolves. You know, we can't be so simplistic and just say we don't have the guys. We don't know if we have the guys because they're going to be asked to do different things. Quay's going to have a different job. Um, I, I know that's another thing Dusty was talking about is, you know, he has a potential to be a real superstar in this defense because what he's going to be asked to do is, is really just kind of leans on his athleticism. You know, he's going to have to take some real deep drops. He's going to be on the line of scrimmage and then just book it straight back. And he's got the agility and the speed to do that. And then, of course, the blitzing and all the different packages he'll have there. I mean, he, he just, the things he'll be asked to do, he has the potential really to just be a great player. But we got to see if he can do it. You know, the interior defensive linemen are going to have slightly different jobs and our edge rushers are going to be, you know, hand in the dirt doing some different stuff. Safeties are going to have a little bit different assignments. So, you know, we just, we got to see. This is, we're kind of starting from scratch here with these guys a little bit, and that's kind of why I want to be patient with Savage, and I want to be patient with Stokes, and I want to, I want to just let this guy get his hands on them. And you know, they were first round picks for a reason. Let's at least let them get in the building and take a look at their tape and get their hands on them a little bit before we make any any harsh decisions um, about where these guys are going to end up. I'd love for them all to come back and 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 get a little bit of an opportunity to learn and grow with this guy and see what what he can do. And who knows? Maybe he's just terrible. I don't know. But I love that he's a, he's a coach, and from from what everybody has said, and he's talked, you know, Richard Sherman is is about as good of a corner as you're going to find, and he's also worked with Revis. Everybody points to college, but again, it was also in the pros. You know, Rondé Barber and some some great great corners, and they have great things to say about him about how, you know, again, one of the first things that I had mentioned about him, and this comes from Richard Sherman essentially, is he does such a great job of preparation. He's sort of the anti Hackett, I guess you could say, so that by the time it comes to you. It's very simple. You know, it, it reminds me of almost like computer language where you go through and you do these, what are they called? The, uh, the, 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 the and, or, nan, nor gates or whatever. It's just, if this, then this. If not this, then this. 
And if you can just get those couple things down, you got it. And, and I, I really think, I mean, we know that it was a massive issue, especially on the back end. Just miscommunications. Like, I, they just didn't know what to do. And again, maybe they're just the dumbest people on planet. Maybe Gutekunst just drafts idiots. I don't know. We'll find out. But if we can just clean that up, it almost doesn't even matter what, what they're running. Like, just play good ball, and we got a shot. Play good, clean, consistent football. Be where your defensive coordinator tells you to be. Hustle and tackle. And that'll at least get us to probably the top half of defenses. If you can just do that, we'll probably be about 16th at least. Anyways, I think I'm going to end with this. Uh, This is just a fantastic little clip. This is, um, what is her name? I really like her. Carmen Vitale. She is, she was a Bears person. I think she became like an NFC North correspondent. And uh, ever since she's been given that freedom, she's done nothing but gush over the Green Bay Packers, which I think annoys Bears fans, but I love it. Um, but this is, what the heck is this guy's name? The, the Bears, uh, Adam Rank. So Adam Rank, I, I believe, is a big Justin Fields guy, has been praising him to the hilt. I, I haven't really been in Bears Twitter to see where everybody's at, but just watching him grimace as um, Carmen Vitale explains to him that there is not a single sane human being in the NFL world that actually believes that the, pa- the Bears should keep Justin Fields. It just brings me so much joy. I wish I could show you his face. Please go and try to find this, but uh, here you go. It feels like the personnel people who have worked in the league or currently work in the league still favor the Caleb Williams option. Do you still get that sense? Everybody I have talked to that works, that is some sort of NFL evaluator, whether that's a pro personnel guy or an area scout even, or coaches, uh, assistant GMs. I mean, you name it, I've talked to them. And every single person I've talked to across the league is like, I I don't think it's a choice. Like, it's not a decision to make. It's you absolutely absolutely start that contract over and you the chances of Caleb Williams or even if it's Drake May of them being worse than what you've gotten out of Justin Fields already is slim to none and it's all there's only a ceiling uh, a higher they, they believe a higher ceiling is what I've heard 